Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Town meeting season is in full swing, and in this week's edition of Outer Cape News, we have the wrap on what happened at this week's town meeting in Provincetown, and we get you ready for the upcoming town meetings in Truro and Orleans. Weather Will is here with his exclusive WOMR Weekend Weather Outlook, and Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about one thing he won't be wishing for on his birthday. A standing-room-only crowd gathered at the annual town meeting in Provincetown Monday night and approved the town's 2024 budget of nearly $35 million. That figure included a $1 million addition to the operating budget in the form of a Proposition 2.5 override. The override will require a yes vote at the town election on May 9th. If the override passes at that election, it would fund the establishment of a full-time fire and emergency medical services department in Provincetown. Provincetown is the only town on Cape Cod with an all-volunteer fire department. In the first 90 minutes of the meeting, voters passed Articles 1 through 16 on the 37-item warrant with little fanfare. Articles passed included funds for housing on Jerome Smith Road and a home rule petition for year-round housing deed restrictions. But after a break at 7.30 p.m., tensions were on the rise. After the indefinite postponement of an article that would have banned some single-use disposable plastic products, the rest of the night was dominated by a discussion of Articles 18, 19, and 20. Ultimately, all three articles were postponed. The articles would have amended bylaws to regulate and cap short-term rentals. Moderator Mary Jo Avalar set the crowd on edge when she had the three articles presented one after another by the petitioners and then had the Finance Committee give their presentation. Only then were voters allowed to go to the microphones and speak. Avalar said she had made the decision to present the articles this way after talking with the select board, members of the finance committee, and town council before the start of the meeting. Town council John Giorgio took to the microphone to explain that, in his opinion, all three articles contained internal inconsistencies. Even if they passed, the state attorney general would need to approve them, and they would create a litigation nightmare for the town, Giorgio said. In the second comment on the three articles, Avalar accepted a motion to indefinitely postpone consideration of the articles and told every subsequent speaker to confirm that they were commenting on the postponement motion rather than the content of the articles. This soon became a source of confusion and anger in the hall. Commenters spoke for and against the broad concept of short-term rental regulation, although the rule that all remarks had to relate to the indefinite postponement made it difficult to discuss the articles in any detail. Points of order rang out on why the moderator allowed the articles to be lumped together for postponement. 
Others complained that the petitioners had intended to propose amendments to their articles to address some of the shortcomings, but were not getting the chance to do so. After a cacophonous debate, during which Avalar frequently banged her gavel and scolded voters for speaking out of order, the postponement vote was finally called. The 270 to 170 result was declared, but that wasn't the end of the story. Paul Benson, the sponsor of Article 20 and a staff reporter for the Provincetown Independent, asked whether it was possible to reconsider just Article 18 instead of all three. After consulting with town council, Avalar said that because they were initially lumped together, all three articles would have to be raised for reconsideration, at which point they could be amended to hear just one. After passing an article instituting low-noise fireworks at town celebrations, Avalar received a petition to reconsider the indefinite postponement vote on 18, 19, and 20. The motion to reconsider did not carry, and the rest of the meeting wrapped up quickly, with the remaining articles passing with no further incident. After the meeting, town manager Alex Morse said he thought it was a productive and engaging town meeting, and he thanked the voters for their support of the operating budget and the operating override to bring on full-time firefighters for the first time. As for the controversy surrounding the citizen petitions, Morse noted that the vote to indefinitely postpone passed by more than 100 votes, so it was clear that there wasn't support for the measures. Nonetheless, Morse said that there's an obligation to continue the conversation and see what can be done to bring the topic back to a future meeting. Finance Committee member and former town manager David Panagor expressed concern about what appears to be a growing tendency to limit the right of town meeting voters to debate motions. Panagor said that people were upset because they felt their right to debate was being curtailed. In other news from Provincetown Town Meeting, a measure to start a community planning process for Shank Painter Road passed, with some voters raising questions about the article's scope. The article would allocate $50,000 from the town's free cash to hire an independent consultant who would work with an appointed subcommittee to produce a zoning study on the high-traffic corridor of Shankpinner Road. The impetus for the study is a planned Mass Department of Transportation project that would transform Shankpinner Road from Bradford Street to Route 6 over the next five years. That plan includes a reduction in lanes on Route 6 from Shankpinner to Herring Cove and the creation of two lanes for bicycles and pedestrians. Home to many businesses and multiple town-owned parcels slated for housing development, Shankpainer Road is one of the widest and busiest streets in town. It's also fairly treacherous for pedestrians and cyclists. The town-sponsored Shankpainer Road community planning process is technically unrelated to the state-sponsored Shankpainer Road transportation project. But town staff's vision is to capitalize on the road redesign to make the Shankpainer neighborhood an accessible and inviting mixed-use environment. Morse said in his presentation of the article at town meeting that the process would draw on last year's zoning change for the Shankpainer commercial district. That district now allows up to four stories for community housing projects, with the goal of encouraging mixed-use development. 
The planning board is finalizing its picks for a subcommittee to work with the consultant on the planning process. The epic story of the Lower Cape Ambulance Association and fire departments of Provincetown and Truro has taken yet another turn. Both towns are still moving to bring all fire and EMS services into their fire departments, but the transition from the private ambulance crews of the 87-year-old nonprofit Lower Cape Ambulance Association will now take three years instead of a few months. On Monday, town meeting voters in Provincetown ratified the change by unanimously approving a $1 million override as part of the town's general budget. The money will extend Lower Cape Ambulance's contract for three years and fund the hiring of eight new full-time firefighter paramedics and firefighter EMTs. The extension of Lower Cape Ambulance's working life eases the pressure on both towns' fire departments to hire a large number of staff before the summer begins. At one point, Provincetown was contemplating adding 16 new hires by July, and Truro, 8. Lower Cape Ambulance was revived, in part, because the organizations began speaking to each other, something that apparently hadn't been happening regularly. When Lower Cape Ambulance's leaders appeared at a Provincetown Select Board meeting on February 27th, Chief Operating Officer Stephen Roderick said that a recent meeting was one of the first with Provincetown, Truro, and LCAA in the room at the same time in probably four years. Roderick expressed optimism about the potential for future discussion among the parties involved. Truro's town meeting will take place on April 25th. Among the 42 articles on the warrant, four call for Proposition 2.5 overrides. Article 11, identified as the select board's first priority, would expand the town's emergency medical services by transferring over $600,000 to the Fire and Rescue Department budget to fund four additional firefighter paramedics and one fire and EMS administrator. Those positions would allow Truro to prepare for the closing of the Lower Cape Ambulance Association, although that transition now appears to be years instead of months away. Articles 12 and 13 are select board adaptations of two citizen petitions. The first would fund the Child Care Voucher Program, a preschool program, and child care outside of school hours. The other would allocate money for the establishment of a full-time housing coordinator position. The final override would provide money to the police department for a school resource officer. The Finance Committee voted against the override, while the Select Board was narrowly in favor. Articles 16 through 27 would grant over $1 million in Community Preservation Act funding to support housing and historic preservation projects. This includes providing $750,000 to the Affordable Housing Trust and a $100,000 contribution to the community housing now under construction on Jerome Smith Way in Provincetown. A special town meeting will be held in the fall, according to the Truro Select Board, to focus on the Walsh property and the local comprehensive plan. The Walsh Property Community Planning Committee met on March 29th and was enthusiastic about allocating space for non-residential uses of the property. At earlier community focus groups, 
Participants advocated for workshop spaces, a food pantry, an early childhood center, artist studios, and a commercial kitchen, among other possibilities. Committee members want as much space as possible for such uses without taking away from the housing development that is the group's first priority for the 70-acre site. The consultants working with the committee hope to have a final plan in place in time for the special town meeting set for the fall. There could be lots of celebrity sightings in Chatham in the coming weeks as the star-studded cast of The Perfect Couple begins shooting the Netflix series this week. The six-episode show will be filming at locations around town through the end of June, with Chatham standing in for Nantucket, where the story is set. Netflix recently announced the cast for the series, which will include Nicole Kidman, Liv Schreiber, and Dakota Fanning. Eve Hewson, daughter of U2's Bono, Billy Howell and Jack Rayner round out the top cast. The story revolves around a big Nantucket wedding, with Hewson's character marrying into Kidman's wealthy family. When a body washes up on the beach, secrets are revealed and everyone becomes a suspect, according to a description of the plot. Filming began Tuesday at the Northport Plaza on Orleans Road that has been transformed into a facsimile of the police station on Nantucket. Other businesses in the plaza, including Chatham Perk and Chatham Light Liquors, will be closed during the filming. The production is pumping a substantial amount of money into the local economy, with nearly 200 cast and crew members put up at hotels in the area. Food service will be provided by local vendors, and rentals of cars and equipment are locally sourced as well. Production is expected to take 39 days, according to the filming permit. The production is reportedly spending approximately $5 million per episode locally. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. After weeks of deliberation, the warrants for next month's annual and special town meetings in Orleans have been finalized. A total of 75 articles will go before voters at this year's spring session, which is scheduled for 6 p.m. on May 8th at Nauset Regional Middle School. The slate includes 67 articles on the warrant for the annual town meeting, as well as an additional eight articles on a special town meeting warrant. Voters will be asked to approve a fiscal 24 operating budget of $44.5 million. The new budget represents an increase of 7.4%, well above the typical annual increase of 25 to 3%. The biggest driver in the budget is the town's increased assessment to the Nauset Regional School District. The town will pay just over $6.9 million to the district's overall $32.9 million budget for the fiscal 24. That's an increase of just under $1.3 million from the current fiscal year. As it is, the new budget includes the elimination of five positions across the district. The district is facing increased costs in transportation, technology, special education, and mental and behavioral health. Orleans' new budget also reflects an increased assessment from Cape Cod Regional Technical School in Harwich. The town's $405,000 assessment for the new fiscal year is an increase of over 24 percent.
The annual town meeting warrant includes approximately $11.2 million worth of debt exclusion requests across eight articles. The largest is one seeking $2.5 million to fund the preliminary design of the town's third phase of sewer work. Phase 3 will focus on the area of Pilgrim Lake, Crystal Lake, Lonnie's Pond, and Aries Pond. Debt exclusions will also be sought across two articles to cover additional costs related to the first two phases of sewer work. Other debt exclusion articles slated for the warrant include a request for a new ladder truck for the fire department, money for upgrades at Veterans Memorial Park, and money for two new above-ground fuel tanks at Rock Harbor. There's also a Proposition 2.5 override which seeks to increase the town's annual appropriation to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. The Community Preservation Committee is supporting $1.37 million worth of projects funded through the Community Preservation Act. Among the requests are money for exterior renovations to the Academy Playhouse, for the construction of an accessible walkway at the Village Green, for the continued restoration of the French Cable Museum, and for the restoration of the town bandstand at Nauset Beach. The Snow Library Board of Trustees is seeking $180,000 to fund a feasibility study looking into options for a new library in town. The existing library on Main Street was last renovated in 1992, and it's too small to meet the needs of a modern library. On the special town meeting warrant is an article seeking authorization to use $130,000 in Beach Enterprise funds to implement the Nauset Beach Retreat Master Plan and Facility Relocation Project. The article would cover the cost of engineering, permitting, and construction for the eventual demolition of the Beach Administration Building, with plans to replace the building with a dune. Planning for the project comes in the face of increased erosion at Nauset Beach. The ballot for next month's annual town election in Orleans will be loaded with 27 questions for voters to consider. Between debt exclusion requests, overrides, and charter changes, town officials say voters could be faced with an unprecedentedly large ballot at the election, which is scheduled for May 16th at the Orleans Senior Center on Rock Harbor Road. Eight questions relate to $11.2 million worth of debt exclusion requests, which must first be approved by voters at the annual town meeting on May 8th. While the ballot questions will give voters plenty to work with, there will only be one contested race on May 16th. Three candidates will seek two seats on the Board of Health. Incumbent members Sims McGrath and John Kanaga are joined in the race by challenger Robert Gwynn. On the select board, incumbents Anduria Reed and Mefford Runyon are both unopposed in their re-election bids. Polls open at the Senior Center from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. on May 16th. Lisa Brown, the iconic and legendary teacher at Nauset Regional High School, has announced that this year will be her last after 25 years at Nauset. Among her many credits, Brown teaches Nauset Regional High School's Exploring and Respecting Differences courses. The classes begin with an exploration of cliques, and the curriculum segues into stereotypes, explicit bias, the formation of hate groups and cults. They take on gender and sexuality. Brown, who is gay, said she lets the students lead that whole section. 
The second level of the course covers the Black Lives Matter movement, human trafficking, and mediation. Over the years, Brown has influenced countless numbers of students with lessons not normally taught in a classroom. Many of Brown's students are members of the school's Human Rights Club, which Brown advises. Brown opened The Flying Fish in Wellfleet with Pat Foley in 1990, before she began teaching special education at age 40. Brown has a degree in ethnomusicology from Hampshire College and also taught world music at Nauset until 2008. She grew up in Wellfleet and still lives in her childhood home. She credits her career success to Wellfleet Elementary School 5th grade teacher Barbara Winslow. What Ms. Winslow taught her, she said, is that a good teacher can help students do just about anything they set their minds to. Congratulations to Lisa Brown on an amazing career that has made a significant positive impact on the lives of all of us here on the Outer Cape. And for Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. Brisk or blustery will be the adjectives that describe the weather this afternoon. A fairly strong early April cold front is crossing the region, and as cool high pressure builds in from southeast Canada, the pressure gradient between the departing low and the incoming high will produce gusty northwest winds. But now the good news. The active weather pattern so persistent and in some cases historic over the last several months, will morph into tranquil and warmer patterns over the next five to 10 days. And as I alluded to last week, if you want to feel that true stretch of springtime, this is what you've been waiting for. Sunshine will dominate this Easter weekend, but with lighter winds turning onshore, temperatures will still be on the cooler side. But by the middle of next week, that area of cool Canadian high pressure will slide southeast and become a Bermuda high, bringing west to southwest winds and unseasonably warm air to all of New England, including the Outer Cape. Temperatures will soar to record-breaking warm levels in the 70s and 80s over interior sections of New England. Now here across the Outer Cape, the cooler waters of Cape Cod Bay and Nantucket Sound will temper the warmth but with abundant sunshine, we will still feel that true scent of springtime as temperatures climb to 60 and then to 70 by the middle and latter part of next week. Elsewhere across the nation, more deadly and destructive tornadoes tore through the eastern two-thirds of the country this week in what has been an endless stretch of severe weather outbreaks since January. The front responsible for this nasty weather will now stall across the deep south this weekend with heavy rain, flash flooding, and strong storms from East Texas to North Carolina. And even though it's still only early April, our global models are spinning up a disturbance on this stalled frontal boundary that could become subtropical or even tropical over the next five days. And finally, speaking of tropical weather, every year the National Hurricane Center reviews the previous hurricane season. And after reanalysis, Hurricane Ian has now been upgraded to a Cat 5 storm. The storm initially rated a Cat 4 with 155 mile per hour winds, 
was recategorized as a rare Cat 5 with winds of 161 miles per hour while it was still in the southeast Gulf of Mexico. Ian took 149 souls and turned out to be the third costliest hurricane in U.S. history when it struck southwest Florida last September. The damage estimates were $112 billion. Ian is now the 28th hurricane to achieve a Cat 5 status since 1960. And remarkably, seven of these 28 monster storms have occurred since 2016, a testament to warming waters induced by climate change. And since the accuracy of intensity forecasts lags behind track forecasting, it's making these rapidly intensifying storms harder to predict, leaving folks less time to prepare. Incidentally, the first 2023 hurricane season forecast will be released by the scientists at Colorado State University next Thursday at 10 a.m. This will be the first of several seasonal hurricane forecasts issued by both the private weather companies and the government. NOAA's forecast will be the last one to be released, and that will occur, as it always does, on the Thursday before Memorial Day weekend. This year, that day is May 25th. Now my exclusive WOMR Easter weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, partly sunny and breezy, highs around 54. Tonight, partly cloudy, breezy, and turning much cooler, lows around 31. Saturday, mostly sunny, highs around 46. Easter Sunday, abundant sunshine, highs around 48. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. My birthday is coming up this weekend, and one thing I can tell you that I am not going to wish for is to be young again. Like an old leather armchair, I think I'm better now than I used to be. Softer, for sure, and creaky, weathered and a bit overstuffed, but a lot more comfortable, at least with myself. So bring on the jokes about getting old. I wouldn't go back for anything. I see all the emphasis on youth in the media, beautiful bodies doing incredible things, but I have to admit, I never enjoyed sports. I was a complete and total klutz. I spent three miserable years on the high school football team, vomiting after wind sprints in the heat, getting my fingers crushed under a scrum of cleats, suffering the humiliation of playing second string on the varsity football team for all three years. And why? Because I bought into the hype about jocks being popular. Why would I ever want to go through high school again? And would I ever want acne? I had pimples the size of Halloween candy corn, no matter how much clearasil I smeared on my face. Sure, my hairline is receding now, but at least my forehead doesn't feel like a relief map. And what about sex? A novelist named Andrew Halloran once wrote, when I was in my 30s, I remember walking by the Empire State Building one day thinking, how did they get people to stop looking for sex long enough to put up a building this big? 
I can relate because that constant and demonic sex drive determined almost every decision I made on a daily basis. How I dressed, who I hung out with, where I went. It was like being attached to a force I could never control. Sort of like having your belt caught in a runaway snowblower, just following wherever it went, usually into inappropriate situations with people as out of control as I was. Life is so much calmer now that the fire inside me most often comes from heartburn. And I really like where I live now, don't you? Would you ever want to go back in time to your first inner-city apartment? Would you ever want roommates again? Do you remember the sad people who showed up clutching an ad from the bulletin board at the local food co-op? I had one who closed the door to his room and never opened it. The only trace of him was the lingering smell of weed and the fractured wail of Captain Beefheart's third album, Trout Mask Replica, that he played over and over again. I do miss that my rent was only $80 a month, but I don't miss the swarms of cockroaches in the cupboards, and I don't miss the hoofbeats of the neighbors upstairs at 2 a.m., or the radiators that all seem to work in the summer, but never in winter, and triple locks on the doors and the bars on the windows. I don't miss that halfway house next door, or the ex-cons who hung out on the stoop with very little to do but make sucking noises at my visiting women friends. And I don't miss the slumlord banging on the front door at 10 a.m. on the first Saturday of every month, her very large son standing behind her with a pistol tucked into his belt. I realize these are all economic problems, but that was more or less the state of my entire youth. And I don't want to have to learn to drive again, or take another SAT test, or meet someone's parents. So bring on the years and all the jokes about getting old. I certainly want to live long enough to see what the next generations can do with this broken old world, because frankly, I think us old white guys have done quite enough to screw it up. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Jacob Greenberg and Henry and Jane Fisher for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz with Joel Shaw, here on listener-supported Community Radio, WOMR. Young mama, one got that off. Young mama, one got that off.